You're listening to episode 17 of the Sustainable Minimalists podcast. You are listening to the Sustainable Minimalist podcast, a show about living simply and sustainably with your family. Here's your host, Stephanie Safarian. Hello there and welcome back. Today I am so excited to bring you an interview with my friend and minimalist coach, Rose Lounsbury. Rose is, to my knowledge, the only minimalism coach out there. And in our interview today, we get right into what a minimalism coach is and her trademarked method toward minimalism. I love her method because it's less about tidying up and more about actually minimizing your stuff. So we do a deep dive into her method, and we hit some other really important topics too. We discuss my completely unscientific and untested hypothesis regarding the stages of sustainable minimalism, and Rose gives us her best tips for living harmoniously with a spouse and children who may or may not be on board with your minimalist goals. I am so excited to introduce you to Rose Lounsbury. So let's get right into the interview. Enjoy. Hi, Rose. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing great, Stephanie. It's so fun to be here with you. It's so fun to have you. I absolutely love talking with people in my niche. So thank you for agreeing to come on and talk about your minimalist journey. Uh, I love to talk about my minimalist journey, so I'm very, very happy to be here. Well, let's get right into it. I absolutely loved your book, Less, and I thought it was profoundly relatable. What hooked me right from the beginning was that you started with your daily schedule with three kids before adopting minimalism. And I could definitely relate, and I think that pretty much any mother could relate to your back-breaking pace. I love how you said that your unstructured time was spent, quote, putting your house back in order. And I think many moms uh, experience that. So maybe you could just start off by telling us about your minimalism journey. Sure. I would love to. Uh, Well, a lot of it is, like you said, um, I came to minimalism because I was so tired of spending all my free time picking up. Um, My background is in education, so and I have triplets. So the time of my life when minimalism became a thing was when my triplets were about three years old and I was teaching full time. So my days kind of went like this. I would go all day to the job that paid me, you know, teaching middle school English, which is not an easy job. And then I would come home and I felt kind of like I was clocking in at my second job, which was the much harder job of being a mom to three little people. It's also the job that I was not getting paid for. So I would, you know, do the dinner and the bath time and all of those things. And by the time I got my kids in bed at night, I just wanted to lay down on the couch. I wanted to sit down. I had maybe 45 minutes before I had to, you know, get myself to bed because school started early. And I found that for that precious little bit of time that I had to myself, all I did was clean up my house. I was putting things away, putting the toys away, putting the shoes away. And it was like I never relaxed in my home. 
And it started to become a real problem. I, I felt this sort of low-level anxiety constantly, and it wasn't always even low-level um, anxiety in my house. And I didn't know what the solution was. And it kind of came to a head um, right after Christmas, um, the year that they that they were three. We came home from visiting relatives out of state for Christmas, and our van was just packed to the gills with presents. And I got into my house, and we live in a small, like relatively small by American standards, um, 1,500 square foot house. And I got into my house, and I just thought, I don't even have room for the stuff I already have. Where am I going to put this new stuff? And it was just this feeling of being defeated. I just felt like I'm doing something wrong. Like, why can I not fit my stuff in here? What do I need to do? I thought I needed to buy a bigger house. I thought that was the solution. So I actually started looking at bigger houses. But luckily for me, um, around that same time, I had lunch with a very good friend of mine. And I was kind of lamenting to her these same things. You know, I spent all my free time picking up. There's just tons of stuff. I'm just constantly dealing with the stuff. I'm so sick of it. And my friend said, well, why don't you become a minimalist? And I had no idea what that meant. I thought it was like monks living in a cave in Tibet somewhere, you know? I was like, (laughs) that's not a real way to live. But I started reading some books and some blogs on this topic of minimalism, and I was just hooked. Um, I said, oh my gosh, this is what I've been missing because I've been trying to organize all my stuff. You know, I had bins and labels and all these things, and it just never worked. And I didn't realize that what I really needed to do was let go of the things that didn't serve me. And so when I started doing that, that's when things started to change in my house. So I started just going through my house, you know, room by room and drawer by drawer on the weekends or when my kids were napping and tackling different projects here and there. And it took me a total of, of about eight months because um, I was working full time and I had three three-year-olds. So, you know, not a lot of free time there. But after a period of about eight months, I suddenly realized that I was at peace in my house. And when my kids would go to bed at night, instead of running around and cleaning up, I was just sitting on my couch with like a mug of tea or glass of wine. Let's be real, depending on the day, um, relaxing, reading a magazine, which is what I wanted to be doing. So it really, you know, changed my life because it gave me back my free time, which for me as a naturally introverted person is so valuable because I need alone time to recharge Um, and reconnect with myself. So that was sort of my personal journey. And I started blogging about that just because I love writing and I wanted to share this with people. But then what happened as a result of my blog was some people started asking me to come to their homes and help them with the same type of thing. And I thought, oh, that'd be really fun. But literally, I did not have time to do that. I had a full-time job outside the home and three three three-year-olds. But it stayed on the back burner as something I would really like to do someday. And then It was 2015 that I sort of made this big leap in my life. And I thought, you know, if I never do this, I'm going to regret it. So I left the classroom and I started my business that year and I named my business Less. And that was very intentional because I know for me, that's at the heart of great change is just having less, less stuff, less stuff on your schedule, less things that you're trying to accomplish. Because it is that old um, saying, less is more. When I had less stuff, I had more of myself. It's it's so amazing to me that a simple lunch with a friend could completely change your life. That's that's incredible. Yeah. And it is. And, and my friend Robin, whenever I, I still have lunch with her every few months, and I'm like, Robin, you know that you started all of this. She's like, no, she's too modest. But I'm like, no, it really was you. I remember where we were sitting and what we were eating. And it, it literally changed the path of my life. She's kind of, she's an awesome friend that way. <laughs> 
Yeah, she sounds pretty amazing. So you mentioned one benefit of minimalism for you, and that's that your house feels like a home again. It doesn't feel like a stressor or an anxiety provoker. What other benefits have you experienced since adopting minimalism? Well, the main one would be having more of my time, which I kind of talked about a little bit. But another big one is financial. Um, I used to be kind of a... uh, a sport shopper, I'd say. I love to go and just shop for fun. And now I can't even really imagine doing that, but that's what I used to do with my my girlfriends, my sister, my mom. We would just go shopping and there was no plan really, except we were going to go shopping and I would just buy whatever was quote unquote on sale, even though I didn't need it. And I would fill my closet and my home with all of these sales and deals. I'm using air quotes over here um, that I didn't need spending, I'm sure thousands of dollars on things I didn't need. And so the biggest change when I started letting go of things was I was like, I don't want to go back to that. So it it inadvertently changed my shopping habits. And I never really set out to do that. But now I talk a lot with clients, with my students about shopping with a purpose. And yes, I still shop. I have to buy clothes and things for my house and things for my kids. But when I go to a store, if I'm going to buy soccer cleats for my son, I'm leaving with soccer cleats for my son. I'm not buying, you know, 10 other things that just happened to be on sale, quote unquote, on sale that day. So another big advantage is I think it has saved me a significant amount of money. Uh, So that would probably be the second advantage. The number one being it saved my sanity. So sanity can't be, they can't put a price on that one. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you just touched on something interesting that I hadn't really realized in my own life, but when you said it, it kind of made a light bulb go off. Before deciding to minimize my possessions and live more mindfully, I would go to the mall just to go to the mall. Like I live in the Northeast where, you know, the weather's not so hot. And when you want to get out of the house, you go somewhere indoors. And what is the perfect place to go? Because it has the right lighting, it has sales, it's enticing. That's the mall. You go to walk around and you probably leave with some stuff that you don't need. I can't tell you the last time I've been to a mall because I don't want to go. I don't need to go. I no longer have that desire. Yeah, it's a very different approach, you know, and I still will say, and this will sound strange, but I still like shopping. Honestly, I do like shopping, but I shop with a purpose. So if I'm getting together with my best college girlfriends, I know that we are probably going to go shopping. And so one of the lists that I keep on my phone is a list of things that I need to buy. I keep a capsule wardrobe. So I'm always keeping a list of things I need to replace the items in my capsule. And so I have a list with me so that I know if we go shopping, I'm going to be shopping with purpose because I'm going to be buying the things I need. And I still have fun because because I'm with my friends, you know, and we're hanging out. And if I don't have anything on my list that I need to buy, I just enjoy my time with them, get a nice coffee, get a pedicure, something like that. I don't need to purchase something to make the activity worthwhile. I also think it's fascinating how now maybe it wasn't a conscious shift, but it was a shift nonetheless in your time with your friends that now you're receiving happiness and benefit from the time spent with your friends instead of the purchases. Yes. On your website, you say that you are a minimalist coach. What is that and how do you help others achieve 
their minimalist goals? Well, the term minimalism coach was actually a term that I came up with because there wasn't really a good word to describe what I did. When I started my business, I called myself a professional organizer. I actually called myself a minimalist-minded professional organizer because I didn't know what else to say that I did for people. But what I found was what I really was passionate about was helping people let go of the things that were holding them back. I didn't get all excited about the containers and the bins and the labels and all the other things that a lot of professional organizers really like to do. Um, I was passionate about helping people free themselves from their stuff because that's when I saw a big change in their lives and a big change in the way they felt when I was leaving their house was based on the amount of stuff that we were able to let go. So I call myself a minimalism coach because I really see my role as encouraging and teaching and coaching people on how to let go of things because you would think it would be easy, but it's not. And I've always told people, you know, if it was just about your stuff, letting go would be easy, but it's not about your stuff. It's about the feelings that you associate with your stuff. And those get into some deep things like guilt, um, pressure. There's all sorts of things. Fear is a huge one that we get into when we're talking about letting go of objects. So I see my role as giving people ways to let go of the things that are no longer serving them. So that's kind of what I do. And so I there's a few ways that I help people. Um, one is is through my book. So people can read my book and they can get that inspiration. I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, I only got through chapter three because I put it down and I started cleaning my closets out. And I'm like, yay, that's what I want. Another way, I live here in Dayton, Ohio. So I do meet clients one-on-one um, -on -one in their homes or at their offices to help them. So that's another way I help people. And another way is I teach online classes that kind of teach people how to go through their house in a more systematic way. So information about all of that stuff is on my website, but those are a few of the different ways that I help people let go of things. Those are all amazing ways. And I will link to your website and to your book in the show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash zero one seven. But I think you touched on something important, which is the people who call you and the people who are listening to this podcast and the people who are interested in minimalism are probably already sold on the why, right? They know that they want and they need to minimize and they can envision a happier life and a more serene home once it's done. But the question becomes, how do they do it? And so in your book, you have a specific method and I was wondering if you could explain it. Absolutely. When I sat down to write my book, this was one of the trickiest parts was thinking, okay, how do I explain to people how I actually do this? It's not rocket science by any means, but I wanted to give people a systematic way because what I didn't realize till I started writing was I do have a system. I have a way that I go through this with people. So what I did was I thought long and hard about how I could create a system that would be applicable to people in almost any space of their home, something that they could grab onto and that they could do. So I came up with this system that I call the LESS method. And so LESS is an acronym and it stands for four steps that you take if you want to minimize the excess in any space. 
So the L stands for lay out your vision and purpose. And that's a step that a lot of people are tempted to skip. But I think it's really important because the first thing I'll ask a client in their home is, you know, let's say they want to organize or minimize the access in their kitchen. I'll say, okay, if you walked into your kitchen and it looked perfect, what does it look like? I'm getting after their vision. And then the second question I'll ask is, okay, what's the purpose of your kitchen? What do you do in here? And I want to know all that stuff. And I actually write it down on a piece of paper and tape it on their wall while we work because what they've done when they've laid out their vision and their purpose is they've said no to a lot of things in their kitchen. And it makes the decision making easier when they know what they want to see and how they want to use the space. So L is lay out your vision and purpose. E stands for empty. And this is pretty typical in a lot of decluttering methods, which is you empty the space completely or as completely as you can. So if it's a junk drawer, for example, you could just dump it out and that's emptying it. Or if it's a closet, you take everything out. If it's a big space like a garage, I usually work in chunks and we go top to bottom, left to right around the space, maybe clearing two two feet at a time, whatever we can do, one shelf at a time. Um, But you want to get everything out as much as possible. So step two is E for empty. Step three is the S, and that stands for sort it twice. Because there are two ways that I like people to sort things, which will make them realize how much they have. The first sort is a like with like sort. So once you've emptied everything out, let's say we're in your kitchen, you're going to put all the like items together. So as you're emptying all the dishes together, all the utensils together, and then you might even subdivide those a little bit like spatulas together, ice cream scoopers together, baking sheets together, and so on and so forth. So the first sort is like with like. And the second sort then, once you have everybody with their buddies, you're going to actually make decisions. And that's where you decide if you're going to keep, donate, trash, put things elsewhere in the house or sell them. So then you go through each of those like with like piles and you make that decision on what stays, what goes. And that's when you look back at your vision and purpose a lot and ask yourself, are these things that you're keeping aligning with that vision and purpose that you set out for yourself and for the space? So then that brings us to the last S of the last method, which stands for systemize. And that's the point at which, if you want to, you're welcome to get bins and baskets and labels and all of those things. You put everything back in a way that makes sense, in a systematic way that you can maintain. And I think what is one of the reasons a lot of people fail at, they say, I just can't stay organized. I fail at being organized. It's because they start with the last step. They start by buying bins and baskets and labels, and then they take it into their cluttered kitchen and think that that's somehow going to magically make their kitchen look great when actually it's the absolute last thing you want to do is to, to get those organizing supplies and try to organize the space. So that's the last method in a nutshell. It sounds... Incredible. And I can't wait to go <laughs> uh, enact some of your steps in my own home. You won't have anything left, Stephanie. You, you've already minimized. I'm a little worried. You got to keep the husband and the kids, though. Don't, don't minimize those. I, I know. I, don't, I truly do not have much more to minimize. But um, <laughs> one thing that I think is uh, especially unique about the less method is that you have people sort before they purge. And that is different from some of the other big minimalist theories by the big gurus, right? They have you purge first and then sort. So is there anything else that uh, makes the less method unique? 
Well, I think for me, the one thing that makes it unique is that first step of laying out your vision and purpose for the space. I've even had other organizers tell me like, I don't really get why you do that. I don't see why that's so important. And I say, you know, it's actually for me and my clients, it's the most important. I think if you don't know what you want and what the reason this room exists, if you don't know those things, how are you going to decide what's truly valuable to you, what you truly need and love if you haven't taken a second to think about why this space even exists in your home and what you're going to use it for? So for me, that's one of the biggest differences from a lot of the methods that I've read about. That's, yeah, that's an interesting point. I want to get deeper into the purging and decluttering stage. Yeah. You say in your book, and I'm going to just quote this. Here's my air quotes. (laughs) Uh, Quote, (laughs) living with just what we need and love can go a long way toward resolving the core issue at the heart of environmental devastation, worldwide poverty, and consumer debt culture, overconsumption, end quote. So, One of my biggest pet peeves, I guess, when it comes to decluttering is that it all often goes to the landfill. And if there's no consciousness behind purchases and consumption, then it's just a hamster wheel of buying, purging, buying more, purging more. And I wonder if you can talk more about this from the lens of the less method. Absolutely. I think you are so right. In fact, when I started my minimalism journey, I had a a good friend of mine who's a very environmentally friendly girl. Um, She said to me, you know, I would love to be a minimalist, but I feel so bad when I throw away perfectly good things. And I was like, well, I'm not throwing away perfectly good things. You know, that's not what I'm all about. And yes, we should feel bad when we throw away perfectly good things. But what's even worse than that, what we should feel worse about is buying those things in the first place if we didn't have a purpose for them in our lives. So I think your question is very interesting in that, yes, just purging, it's its like the binging and the purging of stuff is not what we want to do. So I think we definitely don't want to be on a hamster wheel of just buying and throwing away and buying and throwing away. And I think one of the things that happens when you learn to live with less is that you realize you could live with even less than you thought. So you don't feel that need to replace things like you might have before. I know that everything that I have let go Um, either through donation or some of the things that I've had to actually throw away in the trash, I could count maybe on one hand the things that I had to buy to replace those things. Um, It's very few things that I now allow into my house. I'm much more strict about the things that I bring in because I know when I'm bringing items into my home that unless that item is a compostable item, which honestly very few items are compostable, it will go to a landfill someday. It's either going to, and I often will tell my clients, you know, these items will donate as much as we can, but some things are going to probably go in the trash and that's not going to feel good. But I tell them it's either going to go in the trash today or it's going to go in the trash 30 years from now. And it's a matter of time. When do you want it to go? And when you start thinking like that, it really makes you much more conscious of what you're going to allow in your house. Because if you're allowing it in your house and it's not a compostable item, you're basically saying this will go into a landfill 
someday, even if you recycle. And I think that's something that I've had to to start thinking about more. Recycling is wonderful, but it's like a Band-Aid to a bigger problem. Yes, you can recycle that plastic and it can be changed into a fleece jacket. And that fleece jacket could maybe be recycled into insulation. But after a certain point in time, if the base material is not a compostable material, it's going to go into a landfill someday. So recycling is wonderful and we should recycle as much as we can and we should donate as much as we can, but that's not going to solve the problem of environmental devastation. Um, What will actually solve the problem is if we consume less. And so I do touch on that in my book and I have to think about that myself. You know, when I'm bringing things into my house, how much do I want to commit to a landfill? And I will tell you, Uh, One thing that I've noticed is we produce a lot less trash in my household than we used to. And that was also not something that I ever imagined we would do. I mean, we used to probably have two cans of trash a week in my house. And now we usually have like one kitchen sized trash bag in one can every week. And that's about it. And I think that's definitely a result of the minimalist lifestyle because I don't just buy things to throw them away. I buy things that I know I will use. Yeah, it's the same in my house. Uh, It's amazing how little actually has to be thrown away once you start living a little bit more mindfully. Now, I have a completely unscientific theory about minimalism, and I was hoping I could just um, (laughs) run it off and get your thoughts. And this isn't for everybody, but for some people, they find minimalism because they're sick of the clutter in their homes and they want a more peaceful home and they want less stress and less anxiety and more time. And minimalism sounds like the answer, right? But as you start decluttering and as you start purging, again, not everybody, but some people by default start looking at what they're consuming and how they've been mindlessly consuming. Often that introspective look inside spurns a change in consumerist behavior. And absolutely, I'm wondering just based on your work with clients, whether you've seen that completely unscientific theory take place. No, I think I think you should you should commission a study if there's anyone listening who has money to fund this. Um, there needs to be a study done because I think you're probably right. It's interesting. Um, through my online class, I've definitely gotten feedback that confirms what you're saying. I had one student, I always ask for testimonials after the class to, you know, see what they think. And one of the women wrote to me and said, you know, this wasn't explicitly taught in your class, but I found that I buy a lot less stuff now. And I don't specifically teach, you know, what you should and should not buy, but she noticed for herself that as a result, she was just consuming less. And I think that's pretty natural. I think that's pretty normal. I think it can kind of wake us up when we see how much we're letting go. I've had clients, we go through their closet. Um, I had one client, we she had two closets and we emptied all the clothes out onto her bed and we were saying yes and no to all the clothes and she was ready to purge her clothing. And I think we had about 14 bags of clothing that she donated. And she looked at me at one point during the session and said, this almost makes me sick. When she looked at how much consumption that she had brought into her life. And I always just tell my clients, you know what, this is normal. 
We live in America and we are fed a lot of messages by advertising every day. And even if we're not seeking it out, it's there. We're fed this message that we need more. We should buy more. It's on sale. Buy one, get one free. Buy one, get one 50% off. Oh, if you're buying the shirt, buy the you know pants to match. And so we accumulate pretty mindlessly. And it's when you take it all out and when you start to look at it and when you take that huge van load of stuff to the donation center that you start to realize, man, I can't believe that I have accumulated all this stuff. And I see that all the time. Almost all of my clients will say something to the effect of, wow, I can't believe how much stuff I have, or wow, I can't believe I have this. And I always normalize that for them because that's a very normal feeling. And I don't want them to feel shame or guilt about that because I know that when I went through my own process, I was just almost appalled at how much stuff I had. I actually thought... The main problem with the clutter in my house, I truly thought it was my husband and my and my kids. I blamed them in my mind for all the stuff. And then I started going through it, dealing with just my stuff. And I was like, oh my goodness, the problem is me. It's me. It's me. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't realize it at all. I really thought it was them. And so I, I tell my clients that too. And they're like, you know, ever since I had kids and my husband won't get rid of his t-shirts from college and this and that, I say, okay, let's deal with your stuff, right? <laughs> I was just going to segue into minimalism with families. And in your book, you touch on how your husband has a interesting collection in the attic. <laughs> it's still there. Well, there's more than one collection in the attic. It's not just one. There's That's multiple. my question. Um, it sounds like you did the hard work of looking at your own stuff and minimizing it. What do you say to potential minimalists who have kids and a spouse who's not on board? I say that's completely fine. And one my stock answer to when people ask me, what do you do about the clutter that belongs to your spouse and kids? It's a two-word answer, and it is do nothing. People don't always like that answer, but that is my first answer. Do nothing about the things that belong to your spouse and kids. Because it's an example that I give sometimes is let's say your spouse decided to become a vegan and you're not a vegan and your your spouse starts badgering you about eating cheese and meat and all these things. And you shouldn't do that. And you need to change the way you're living. And here are all these statistics about why being a vegan is better than not being a vegan. Is that going to convince you to be a vegan? No. No, it's going to convince you to like buy a separate refrigerator just for your cheese and like hoard it, like let nobody near it. So I say if you want to affect the change in your house, you start with yourself and you declutter the things that belong to you and then you invite there's a difference between nagging and inviting. You invite the other people in your house to help you, first of all, invite them to help you and then ask them if they would like you to help them. So let them help you by inviting them like, hey, could you help me sort my books? Could you help me sort my clothes? I want to know which clothes you think look good on me. In that way, you're inviting them in. They're seeing the process. They're seeing that you're doing it and you're also teaching them. And then you can say, hey, would you like me to help you go through your t-shirts from college? Would you like me to help you go through the garage? Would you like me to help you go through your toys? Now, with toys and kids, I will say if your children are under the age of five, like if they're four and under, I think you can totally declutter and minimize their toys pretty much without their input. Four-year-olds are tricky because they're kind of on the cusp of really knowing what's going on, but definitely three and under, you can declutter their toys without their input. But once they're about school age, 
I do think it's important to involve them because they can feel very betrayed if you go about this behind their back. So with kids, and you also want to teach them, right? Like as a parent, our job is to teach our children a way to be in the world. And I know that I was never taught really how to let go of items. I was taught how to save items and how to repurpose them, which are very good traits, but I was not taught how to let go of something. And so that's something that I have taught my kids and I had to teach myself how to teach my kids. So be very gentle with the people you live with and don't try to change them. Change yourself and be the example that you wish to see in your home. And you would be shocked at how the people in your house will pick up on that. And if you try to push them, nag them, shove them into this lifestyle, it is going to backfire on you. It will not work. And like you had said, Stephanie, my husband has collections of Star Wars toys still in the box in the attic. He has collections of baseball cards in the attic. And probably every year or two, I'll ask him and say, hey, honey, do you still want these? Yep. Okay. (laughs) And I let them be, you know, they're not impeding me from living my life the way that I want to live my life. They're not preventing me from being a happy person. And I also tell people, you know, I love my husband more than I care about those Star Wars toys, right? Ultimately, I want to preserve my relationship with him because it's my number one relationship in my life. I don't want to damage that. So I will love him always more than I will care about his stuff. You just spoke to my soul because I never mentioned this on the podcast before, but my spouse is a reluctant minimalist. And the only minimalist qualities he has is because I've forced him. (laughs) And you're right. It really hasn't worked and it has backfired. And super secret Stephanie home truth is that we have a complete set of 1967 Encyclopedia Britannica in my basement. (laughs) And I'm not even going to get into where I came from or how it came to our house, but it's my husband's and it's extremely (laughs) sentimental to him. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't get it. I mean, this is the internet age. Everything in those books is out of date and we have it all on the computer. I guess my point is I have tried the nagging route. I've, I've tried everything. I've tried bribery. I've tried nagging. I've tried just, I've tried it all and nothing's worked. And at the end of the day, it's just in impacting my sanity by continuously trying to change his habits. So I'm going to try your strategy, which is just leave it alone. Let it be. Yeah. You got to let it go. Just like Elsa, you got to let it go. And you know, it's okay every once in a while, I think to ask, you know, do you still want these? Yeah. Okay. I always tell myself, you know, there are probably things that I keep that Josh thinks are stupid, right? Like I have a bunt pan and I really never make a bunt cake, but I, in my mind, I'm going to, like I already, it's going to be lemon. I actually yeah, know. You want to be the type of woman who can make a great bunt. Yes, I do. And I have the pan, but I never use it. So like, those are my Encyclopedia Britannicas, right? But I, I can't let right. go of that pan. So we all have our things. Yeah. Thank you for that. So I just have one final question for people who are just starting out on their journey towards minimalism. And it is this. When people are making decisions about what to keep and what to mindfully discard, 
What do you suggest people ask themselves in terms of questions? Well, I have um, some of my favorite questions. There are actually seven of them, and I'll go through them kind of quickly. But I think all the questions are basically the same question. It's just sometimes the way it's asked that will resonate with different people um, in a different way. So the first question I often have people ask is, is this your favorite? So that's why I tell people group like with like, because then you can pick your favorite. Like, is that the ice cream scooper you want to reach for above the others? If it's your favorite, pick that one, let the non-favorites go. So first question, is it your favorite? Second question, and this is Marie Kondo's question, which I think is wonderful. Um, does it spark joy? Does this item make you feel good? Do you love it? It's another way to ask that. Do you love this item? Does it make you feel great? Often when I'm working with clients in their homes, I'll hold up a sweater or something and they'll just go, ugh. <laughs> And I kind of want to tell them, I already know what you need to do with this, just based on your nonverbals there. So does it make you happy? Does, do you love it? Mm. Third question, if you lost it, would you replace it? Is this an item that if it suddenly disappeared from your life, you would need to replace it? Or could you live pretty well without this? My fourth question, would you take it with you if you moved? I often work with people who are downsizing in preparation for a move. And I'll tell you, nobody declutters like someone who's getting ready to move. So if you were in that situation and you were moving, is this an item that would have to go with you? Fifth question, which is a great one, if you feel guilt over how much money you spent on something, which I see a lot, is would you buy it again? So let's say you spent $150 on those jeans, but they never fit right, and you just feel bad donating them because you spent your hard-earned money on it. I often ask people, would you go to the store today and spend your $150 again to buy these same pair of jeans? And they usually say no. I'm like, well, there you go. You're not making money by keeping them in your closet. It's just preventing you from getting to the clothes you actually like to wear. So let them go to someone who will love them. My sixth question is um, one that uh, kind of deals with the fear factor, um, the fear of needing it. Like, what if I need this in the future? So I tell people, well, if you needed it in the future, how much would it cost to replace this? And often that can put it into perspective pretty quickly because they'll be deliberating over something like wooden spoons. I don't know if I need this. I don't know if I need that. Well, if you needed that in the future, how much would it cost to replace it? And then in their mind, I can see that they say, oh, five bucks and they put it in the donation box. And then the seventh question, my final question would be, what's the worst thing that would happen if you let go of this? Again, that one gets to that issue of fear because we're often afraid. I just don't know if I can let it go. Well, let's face that fear. What's the worst thing that would happen if you let it go? I once had a woman, I was giving a talk and she raised her hand and said, you know, I have all these clothes in my closet and I know I need to let them go, but I just, I just can't. And so I said, well, what's the worst thing that would happen if you let those clothes go? And she said, I'd have to go shopping. And I said, well, is that so bad? And she kind of laughed. I'm <laughs> like, oh, it's really not that bad. You'd have to go shopping for some other clothes and that would probably be okay. So those are my seven questions. Those are so good. All seven of them. They're awesome. Thank you so much for sharing them. I'm sure they're going to help a lot of people. For people who want more of Rose Lounsbury and want more tips, where can they find you? The best place to find me is on my website, and it's roselounsbury.com. And I'll spell that for you. It's rose, L-O-U-N-S-B-U-R-Y.com. 
You can also find me on Facebook if you search for Rose Lounsbury. And you can find me on Instagram, and my Instagram handle is at Rose Lounsbury. Thank you so much, Rose, for coming on. You've given many amazing tips and tricks, and I've gained so much knowledge from this chat, and I'm sure there are many people out there as well who have benefited. Thank you so much. I have loved being on here. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. Uh, It was fun. We'll do it again. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Rose Lounsbury just as much as I enjoyed speaking with her. I will link to Rose's website, her book, and her social media handles in the show notes, which you can find at mamaminimalist.com forward slash zero one seven. M-A-M-A minimalist.com forward slash zero one seven. Just a friendly reminder that I am also on social media. You can find me on Facebook by searching for The Sustainable Minimalists. Let's connect and be friends. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.